Hello! Have you entered our giveaway with Looking Glass Gems? Visit the Pasty Tapes Instagram to enter now. Looking Glass Gems. Beautiful, affordable, crystal rhinestones. Shop LookingGlassGems.com. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Special thanks to superfan BFF level supporters Bella Adana and Kyle H. If you want to join the Pasty Tapes fan club, visit ThePastyTapes.com. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Oh my, it's Show My. Hello, it's me, Show My More, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes. I've been gearing up for a super busy September. This month, I'll be in Richmond, Nashville, Philadelphia, and then Nashville again at the end of the month. Basically gone from Chicago all month long. I can't believe that September is already here. I'm debuting my new dumpling. If you've been following me on Instagram, uh, you've seen some of my new dumpling journey this summer. I've got a new dumpling steamer basket prop costume piece thing that I've been dreaming of since before I even debuted. Uh, Miss Tickle, the incredible Miss Tickle, fabricated it and made me the prop of my dreams. And I'm forever, ever, ever grateful for Pochop's guidance as I rebuilt this act. They were there for me week in, week out as I figured all the shit out. Um, I'm super nervous debuting this new version of this act. I am super, super, super nervous. Way more nervous than I was like when I debuted as a performer with this act. Way more nervous about when I put it up for peer reviews at BurleyCon last year. I am so incredibly nervous. Uh, but I'm ready. I think I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Like this is the things that I added to this. Like this is what I wanted from day one and I have it. It's all here all together and like I can't wait to keep seeing this baby evolve. If you're going to see me do this uh, over the month of September, I l- let me know what you think, I guess. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I hope you're ready. We're going to do the thing. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. Today's guest is one of my first burlesque friends. I met her five-ish years ago when I first moved to Nashville. Definitely got closer over the past couple of years. She is a staple in the Nashville scene. She is a performer and a producer. She hits the festival circuit pretty hard. From science-y to nerdy to classic to metal, this is a performer who does a lot. She does a lot. This is my conversation with the scientifically sinful Miss Gidget Bardot. Okay, talk to me about that. Tell me about talk to me about science. Is science also gross? I mean, sometimes yes. I did work in a lab where we were studying uh, chronic kidney disease, which means inevitably that you have to collect pee. So that was the thing that I had to do. And it was from animals or humans or anything that the experiment was based on. It wasn't sexy research. It was interesting, but it was gross. <laughs> so your tagline is? The scientifically sinful Ms. Gidget Bardo. Mostly I get introduced with the Ms., which actually is kind of fitting because I have a master's of science. So the MS is for my master of science. And also I'm Ms. So that works. Okay. I've been wondering about that because on all your social media, you are Ms. Gidget Bardo. And 
I never knew if that was intentional. And it sounds like it's so it sounds like it's not, but it fits, right? Especially since in your bio, you mentioned that you have an MS in science. It was it ended up being accidentally intentional, if that makes sense. I was constantly getting introduced on stage as Ms. Gidget Bardo. And so it just kind of worked out where I'm like, well, I have an MS. So why don't I just run with this? So that's kind of why I, con- why I consider it accidentally intentional. Okay, so the scientifically sinful Miss Gidget Bardot, how did you get into science? Like where did that where did that come from? I got interested in biology specifically, which is what I ended up studying when I was a freshman in high school, and it actually turned out to be the inspiration for my signature act as the dancing cell who takes off her organelles. Right. My freshman biology teacher at the time on our second day of school turned the classroom into a cell so we had to pass through the cell membrane aka go through the door of the classroom and she'd hung organelles from the ceiling and she was the nucleus and I remember she digested me with a lysosome and I just fell in love with the idea of science from then on I'd always found it fascinating but biology became my thing at that point I just loved the idea of exploring this tiny, tiny world, if you will, and just looking more into that. And after that, that was it. That's all I wanted to do. So that's what I went to study in school. I studied cellular biology and biological anthropology and just was a nerd from the start. (laughs) And that's what ultimately brought you to Nashville, right? Yes. I came to Vanderbilt to go to graduate school and ended up falling in love with the city and never left. Being okay, so I also have my master's. My master's is in econ, and then I've dropped out of my PhD. Um, like I think I'm like a class away from my second master's, but it was one of those things where it's like, well, I already have one, so like, <laughs> bye. I'm moving to I Chicago. Don't need two. Um, what in econ we had. What, what I saw was a lot of my peers were women, um, but a lot of the professors were men. I feel like at some point the women drop off and then you just end up with all these old white dude professors. Was that the same um, in your experience in like the biological sciences? I would say it was my experience across the scientific board. I was very lucky that I ended up working for amazing women when I was at Vanderbilt. Like that's all I did was work for fantastic women, but they were absolutely the minority as far as professors, as far as researchers, but the ones that were there were absolutely badass. And I think they're absolutely paving the way for more women. But yeah, that's definitely something I notice is it would be that way at scientific conferences. It would be that way anytime there were presentations. It was a lot of dudes in charge. I was very lucky that I got to work for a particularly badass female who was always breaking those walls down. But yeah, I completely agree. That was definitely my experience. Did you ever have to deal with you know, with sexism or anyone being like weird to you as a woman in this field? Yes. I got a lot of essentially petting on the head, if you will, of just, oh, you're so cute. You think you do science. It's the idea that I couldn't be a woman. I couldn't be feminine in any way and also have a brain. I didn't think that the way I looked would affect 
my ability to do my job and it doesn't, but it affects others' ability to see me as able to do my job, if that makes sense. Yeah. So how do you, how did you manage that? Like, how did you work through that? For a long time, I did kind of dumb down how I looked. I would not wear makeup to work. I would just kind of pull my hair back, which is kind of beneficial when you're in science because you do work with various chemicals or in a cell hood or anything else. So I guess having it out of the way isn't a bad thing, but uh, just kind of hid myself behind almost trying to look like I could fit in, for lack of a better term, of just, look at me, I'm not a girl or something. I'm a tomboy or I'm just one of the guys or whatever you have to do, present, say, to fit in in something like that. And it took me a really long time to understand that I didn't have to do that and shouldn't have to do that. And I kind of wish I could go back to young me and be like, it's okay if you want to look nice and also be smart. (laughs) Those are not mutually exclusive. So that was just something that I wrestled with for a really long time of just this idea that I had to choose between being who I was and thinking the way that I did or acting on those things. I couldn't be smart. I couldn't, I couldn't be smart and pretty, or I couldn't be smart and a girl, or I couldn't be smart and dress nicely. Like there were, there's this kind of weird dichotomy that you can't be the, all of these things at once, which is absolute bullshit. Um, I have a tattoo that says smart and pretty. So is this where, is this concept of, right, showing that you can be smart and pretty and smart and feminine and smart and, and, right? Is this where your organelles act came from? Yes. I, one of the big messages of the act at the very end is to say that smart is sexy. You can be all of those things. And sexy doesn't mean sexual or traditionally pretty or anything like that. It just means you can feel good in your own skin and your own body and also have a brain if that's what you choose to do. You can be all of the things that you want to be. You don't have to set aside one part of your personality or one part of who you are to fit in in something like that. You can be all of those things. So I kind of wanted to embrace that idea of I could be very feminine and I could be very silly and I could be very sensual and I could be very smart kind of all in the same vein. So the act is very quintessentially me because it is all of the things that I tried so hard not to be all at once, to not be too much, too loud, too out there, too smart, too all of these different things that I was always too much of something. And so this act was my chance to be too much of everything. I think that it is such a smart and exciting act. You go through layer by layer of a cell, right? Like that is that is the yeah. concept here, right? You're going layer by layer and getting more and more undressed as this science lesson continues. I really love getting to do it for new audiences because I love people's reactions to it when they realize that that's what's happening. You know when you have a signature act, and you know because you have your amazing dumpling act, that that's what you get booked for. And you have a period where you kind of go, well, is this the only thing that I can do? But this act means so much to me, and it means a lot to other people. And I still have people that will run up to me all over and quote something from my act, one of the lines from my act, which is mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. 
if you want to know where that part comes in, absolutely come out to a show that I do. <laughs> but it it's one of my favorite moments because th- I really feel like that's where the crowd goes, okay, this is where we're going with this. Right. And when I planned this out, there's a lot of organelles in a cell, and I was trying to keep it to, like, the main ones that people would recognize. My kitchen counter was covered in Post-it notes with my bio book while I'm sitting there trying to plot this out. And uh, I had a lot of help from Chandeliers, a performer here in Nashville, an incredible costumer who helped me put this together, who helped me bring the concept to life by helping me create the costume. And the whole process of going through it was sort of a weird combination of doing grad school all over again and also really building an act in a way that I hadn't done before. So it's something that I'm very passionate about and I've come back around to just absolutely love because I love the connection that it gives me to other performers and to audience members. Talk to me about like all the festivals that you've taken this act to and how do you, okay, so for me, doing the dumpling at all these festivals is really fun and really exciting. And there, I think I'm in that phase right now that you were in before where it's like, okay, I've done this. Is this all I can do? How do you fight those feelings? And how, I guess, like, as you take this on the road, I remember you and I had this conversation um, in December of last year where it was like, all right, like, I'm just going to accept that this is, you know, this is the act that people want, right? Mm-hmm. How... How do you survive that? Like, what are you doing to manage that? How are you not getting sick of an act that you're doing over and over and over again? I've had several performers remind me that I may have done this many times, but I'm going to places where there's people who've never seen this before. And a lot of times I feel like we're, we're, we see a lot of the same people when we go to these different festivals. And I love that. And you're, But you sit there and you go, oh, God, this performer has seen me do this like eight times. But I'm also there for the audience. I'm also there to perform for people who may have never seen this before because I've never performed in that state or that time zone or anything like that. So I've tried to keep that in mind where for somebody out there, it's their very first time seeing this and they deserve to see all of me and all of the act. And there are definitely times where I, I am concerned that this is where I have peaked and there is nothing that I'm going to be able to create that's ever going to match up to this. But for one person out there, at, very, at the very least, this is their first time maybe seeing burlesque. This is their first time seeing my act. This is something that is special for them. And that keeps it special for me. That is so true. That makes sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely something I have to remind myself because, it, and we we have discussed this, and it was a fantastic road trip in which we got to do so and share a festival, and it was absolutely lovely. And I love your dumpling act, and I could watch it constantly, but I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, and just having to remind myself that this is this is something that is very me, and that's why it's getting booked. It's not. It's a it's an act that is loved and people want to see it. So that I have to remind myself that that's why I'm getting booked with it. And it doesn't mean that I won't create something amazing after this. You know, maybe maybe I won't. I don't know. <laughs> but um, if I if I can at least say that I have one really solid act that is connected with people, I think I've done a really good job. I think that's a really good point 
though, that you bring that fear of like, oh, no, like so-and-so has seen this so many times because we end up doing all the same festivals together. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited to see this act every time you do it. And I'm not sick of it. And I think I've seen it like five times now. Same thing with you and the dumpling, right? Like you've seen it. I love it. so many different. I drove, to, I drove to Indianapolis with Chase right. to see a show that I knew you were going to be in with the dumpling, which for anyone listening for me is that about a three hour drive and I lose an hour on the way and it was totally worth it because it is one of my favorites. And it, I love seeing people's reaction to your performance. It is so much fun to watch people who are seeing this for the first time connect with what you do. And I, I think that that's a unique power that a really great act has where you don't get sick of it and people love it over and over and over again. And there are people that come specifically to see that. So yeah, it's, it's something that I have to keep reminding myself of though, because you do get in that mental rut, but yeah, know that that act is absolutely incredible. Okay. I love that you say that because that's exactly how I feel about your act. So we're just going to love on each other for a second here. But yeah. Okay. I think like, I think it does take these kinds of conversations and taking that step back of like, well, this is how I feel about it. And maybe other people are bored. And then I think, wait, no, I've seen Gidget's, you know, signature act a handful of times. I've seen, you know, I've seen so-and-so do this thing in three different states already. And at the end of the day, because these people are good performers, because you're a good performer, I am entertained every single time. So I think maybe that's just my anxiety talking. That's just me like fighting a thing that's there that's working. Um, but then also, right, like that could be, okay, cool. Like I can embrace this and and play in this box and see how much I can push the edges out. And I think like that's something really exciting that I've seen of your act. The first time I saw it, you had a poster board, you had like different elements. And by the second or third time I saw it, that poster board was gone. Like this, you know, part of your costume was different. And I love being able to see this act evolve. And it sounds like you're at a really good place with it. And so I'm excited to see you do it again, hopefully soon. I'm excited to see the dumpling. It's the same thing with you where, and I think that's the thing about signature acts and amazing performers is they continue to evolve the performer and the act. And so you're excited to get to see it again, like you said, because there might be something new, a new costume piece or a new move or something, because those really incredible acts continue to grow. Those really incredible performers continue to grow. And I think that that's an amazing thing to see. There are, there are people that I will happily watch their act over and over again if they only ever did one act ever because it's solid. So I, yeah, I think it's just, if you're an engaging performer and you're doing an incredible job and your act continues to grow, I'm going to continue to watch you. And I know that everybody else is. So it's, it's telling anxiety brain to shut up and everything's fine, which we both know is easier said than done. Tell me about being Helperton, how does your Aries nature of, I mean, right, like we want to help, but really like we want to be in charge. Tell me how this plays into how you've taken up being in charge of volunteers at the National Burlesque Festival, or tell me about how this Helperton parentheses person in charge uh, <laughs> attitude or feeling um, has led you to decide to become a producer. I am so bad at just sitting still. I 
I'm just terrible at that. And we, we've talked about that where we know we need a break from something, but then we'll be like, well, but we could be doing this thing or there's this project or this idea. I am just really bad at not helping in situations. I just feel very uncomfortable with it. I want to always be there to assist people, sometimes to my own detriment. But I enjoy being able to help and being a part of something, especially if I'm very passionate about it. And in the case of the Nashville Burlesque Festival, it was the first year of the festival, and the two women running it, Freya West and Chandeliers, are my teachers. They're my mentors. They are people that I look up to and admire and care about. They are friends. And so when the opportunity came up to do this, of course, I'm like absolutely 100% on board. Of course, I have not been a volunteer coordinator before this, so this was a new experience for me, and I definitely learned a lot my first year, and I'm just going to say right now to anybody that's listening to this and volunteered, thank you for your patience with me last year uh, and in the first year of the festival where we're all kind of learning how things would work. But being able to be a part of that first-year experience and being able to spend the whole weekend helping, I wouldn't have been happier if I hadn't. There were definitely parts that were rocky, but that's you can always plan for stuff and something is inevitably going to happen where you maybe don't plan or you didn't think that that would be a situation you'd have to deal with. But the truth is that they did an incredible job with this festival. It was one of the best festival experiences that I've had, and I'm not just saying that because I'm based in Nashville, but they truly care about the performers, about the vendors, about the audience. They cared about everybody that was involved in the production. But I am not somebody that can just sit. If I see something going on, I want to be able to help. So this kind of utilized that personal need to be a part of something and help where I can. So um, as far as producing goes, I wanted to be able to put amazing performers on stage. I wanted to provide a safe and inclusive space. And I wanted to be able to see the kind of burlesque I wanted to see and be able to reach new audiences. And I'm sure that's goals that every producer has. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm perfect. I'm not going to say that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm here to learn. I'm here to continue trying to do the best job that I can. And again, I'm lucky to work with really fantastic people. I work with two amazing local performers who are my co-producers. We are able to do our shows at the Corsair Distillery Tap Room, which is an incredible, incredible space, co-owned by another producer here in Nashville who's incredible. And I say that word a lot, but it's the best word I have for <laughs> the people they I get to are, work with. Yes, they are incredible. Yes, and I use that word a lot, and I really need to open a thesaurus and find a better one, but it's just such an applicable word. So I, I would say that I getting to produce, getting to work as the volunteer coordinator for the Nashville Burlesque Festival satisfies my need to be in charge, but also my need to help because I would say some of my wilder impulses or my knee jerk responses are reined in by the incredible people. There's that word again that I surround myself with. So about burlesque, what kind of burlesque comes on your stage? I think, you know, we know that you are this big science nerd. Um, but I also know that you do 
deadly and beautiful and devastatingly gorgeous classic acts. You also have, um, you know, you also have a few numbers that are too metal, like very metal <laughs> and scary. And then I also know about Sylvie and Sophie. They're also people who fall into this like super gorgeous set of acts and then also really nerdy and silly and then also like weird scary stuff that's artfully done um tell me what does what's the show like what's the vibe of the show well you need to come and do one just throwing that out there for into the universe for it to be a thing but okay we yeah just you know just letting you know we are very big into we just like really good burlesque so we try to put a good variety on our stage we do four shows a year and two of them we leave as an open theme. We're just looking for amazing performers to put on like a great variety of types of burlesque. That's kind of more of our focus is we're just looking to put on a good variety. We're not looking for just classic or just neo or just nerdlesque. We mostly look for things that are pretty polished, pretty high energy. We're oftentimes looking for people's signature acts or acts that they may have revamped and that we just want to have fun with it. We love having a good time. We love getting to laugh. We love getting to cheer. Our crowds are fantastic. We have this amazing couple here that before we even get to the part about tipping for our hosting shtick, they're already throwing money. So like (laughs) we have a really good group here and we're just trying to continue to build the show as a space where we can just showcase really great burlesque from all different types of acts that you could ask for. Yes, that is so exciting. It sounds like such a good time. I know that you are a fantastic person to spend time with um, and to you know work things out with. And so I only imagine that your show is as well put together as you are, which you know means that it's going to be impeccable and really great. So, Gidget, what is your burlesque origin story? Well, I had been to see several shows, kind of not really knowing what burlesque was, and obviously being very entranced by it and wishing that I had the confidence to do something like that, because I think that's where a lot of people start is, I want to do the thing, except I don't know how. So, in 2000 and... 14, I finally got up the guts to take a burlesque 101 class with delinquent debutantes, which is Nashville's only burlesque finishing school run by Ms. Freya West and Ms. Chandeliers. I was terrified. Um, and I had just a few months prior had a major surgery. I have Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disorder that affects the intestines. It can affect other parts of the body, but in my case, intestines. So I couldn't lift anything over five pounds. And as I've mentioned previously, I'm not really good at sitting still, but I couldn't really do anything. And I wasn't in a good place about my body, especially after a major surgery. I was still recovering months later. I was having a hard time. So this was my attempt to do something, even though I was scared and did not at all feel remotely sexy. But within the first class, I was completely hooked, not just on the idea of burlesque, but the way it made me feel and the way it felt like it was finally connecting me back into my body after so many 
terrible, terrible body issues. So I went through and did the 101, 201, and 301 classes. And at the end of the 301 class, which you know this because you've also, uh, you're also a graduate, uh, you put together an act and you perform it in front of a live studio audience, which was also terrifying. But uh, for me, it was extremely poignant because the day that I performed my first act was literally a year to the day of my surgery. Whoa. Yeah. Um, Rebirth. Exactly. I The year before, I had been in a hospital bed, cut open, s- scared for my life. It, it was really tough. Um, I was going through a lot of personal stuff at the time, at the same time, because it never happens in like spurts. It always happens at the same time. Um, and then a year later I was performing for my very first time in front of an audience and I was at first going to cover my scar with makeup and then I changed my mind. So I've never covered my scar once. It has faded over the past several years, but it's a reminder for me that I survived this big thing. And I took this risk that saved my life. And I took this risk on an art form that also kind of saved my life. So I didn't really think at the time that I would continue doing it the way that I have. But it was something that I fell in love with and have more now started to explore the history of, have started to travel with more, and just have really enjoyed the experiences, the people, the performances the things that it's opened my eyes to. So that's where I got started. Did you go into your first class kind of thinking like, okay, cool, I signed up for this six, eight-week session. Like, we'll see how this goes. That's going to be, you know, that's whatever. Or or did you, when you saw those performers for the first time, right, you saw a show before you went out and took the classes, like, did you know right away that you wanted to be up there doing that thing? I I think I liked the idea of it, but there there's that anxiety again in the back of my head. It's like, you'll never be able to do that. You know, I, especially when I was really sick, the idea of doing anything like that was, it didn't compute that that was something that would be possible. I think after the first class, I was like, okay, I want to do the thing. And I was very interested in doing the thing and I wanted to, but I didn't think I would fall into it the way that I have. I didn't think that I would continue with the same kind of intensity that I have, that it would be this thing that became very important to me. And the people that I met became very important to me. Like our friendship is a complete result of getting involved in burlesque. And I absolutely adore you. And we've had so many fantastic experiences and I've met so many wonderful people doing this. So I think that I was excited about, doing burlesque, but I didn't think it was going to become this, if that makes sense. I think after the first class, I was like, okay, I'm real interested. And after my first performance, I was like, I'm really interested, but I didn't think it would go this way. And I'm not at all mad about it. Where do you think that intensity came from or like comes from? Uh, Being an Aries and a Slytherin, I don't know. Um, That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it's just when I do feel very passionately about something, I throw my whole ass into it. And I became very passionate about not just burlesque, but about the people involved in it and the community built around it. And I just really liked what it stood for as well. I loved meeting these 
incredible performers that this is their life and just the amount of work that they put in, the amount of time, effort, energy, they're just absolutely incredible. And so many of my misconceptions and so many of my previous thought patterns were absolutely shattered when I got involved in this. And I think that's been one of my favorite things is to just get to meet people and get to hear their stories and get to broaden my worldview and change my opinions on a lot of things. And I think that's one of the reasons I became so passionate about it is this has opened up so many doors beyond just getting to perform that I never would have had the opportunity to without. Can you tell me about one of the misconceptions that burlesque shattered for you? I would, I would honestly say it shattered my misconceptions about strippers. I will completely own that I was somebody who didn't understand how hard those people work and the amount of time and effort and money and energy and everything that they put into basically being their own business. And I just didn't understand that when I got involved and the amount of work that they do. And I was absolutely blown away by it and completely inspired by it. And I just think that it's, there are so many different lives out there that people should be exposed to and exploring because then I think a lot of things in our world would change if we realized that these people are human and out there living the best lives that they can. And I think if you start to look at people in that way and not just as a stereotype or a bad character on a TV show or something like that, if you start to see people as human, that's when things start to change. Thank you so much, Gidget, for spending the time on this evening to chat with me about your burlesque journey and burlesque and science stuff. I feel like I am smarter just by talking to you uh, in these last few minutes. Um, If people wanted to learn more about you or follow along with your adventures, where can they find you? I am on Facebook under Gidget Bardot. I am also on Instagram under Ms. MS Gidget Bardot. Uh, Twitter under Gidget underscore Bardot. I have a a website, uh, also Ms. MS Gidget Bardot.com. And a Patreon um, where you can find me there also under Gidget Bardo. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you type in MS and Gidget Bardo, you will absolutely find me someplace. Great. Well, we'll make sure that they follow along. Thank you so much for joining us. I will talk to you soon, Gidget. Thank you so much, Shomai. I'm so excited about what you're doing with the Pasty Tapes. I am so looking forward to hearing more interviews from all the amazing performers I know you're going to interview. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Shomai. Thanks again, Gidget. Definitely follow Gidget across the internet. She travels all around the country. You never know where she's going to be next, except you'll know if you, you know, look at her website and stuff. Love you, Gidget. See you soon. Welcome to the newest members of the Pacey Tapes fan club, Dixie Disaster, Elizabeth O, and Mother Girth. Special thanks to front-level supporters Tony Tabasco, Kits and Sass, and Rosalie Bloom. Special shout-out to superfan BFF-level supporters Kyle H., the man with a hat, and Bella Adana. If you want to join the Pasty Tapes fan club, get merch, and have me shout you out on air, visit thepastytapes.com or send me an email if you want to do something big. You can always, always, always contact me at thepastytapes at gmail.com or on the Pasty Tapes hotline, and that's 1-530-PASTIES. I want to start gathering tales of BurlyCon. Do you have some advice you want to share about the 
biggest burlesque education and social convention, shoot me an email, or you can call or text the Pasty Tapes hotline at 1-530-PASTIES. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow the Pasty Tapes at the Pasty Tapes on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely visit the website, thepastytapes.com. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me at Show My More across the internet. Please tell all your friends about the podcast, share it, hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts, share a screen grab when you're listening, tell me your thoughts on an episode, please validate this project because I need it. Thanks again, and I will talk with you soon. You have been listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening, and see you later, ducklings. Happy September. I'm going to be gearing up for a busy-as-fuck month. I'll be out of Chicago for, like, the next three weeks straight. Definitely gone every weekend this month. I'll be at Afro Tees by Vanessa Chevelle in Richmond, Virginia, dancing and teaching all weekend, September 7th through the 8th. You can see my class, Cooler on the Internet, on September 7th. I'll be zipping into Nashville for the Nashville Burlesque Festival. I'll be there September 11th through the 16th. I'm kittening on Thursday, September 12th at Corsair Distillery, and I'm performing in the Saturday Spectacular on 914 with my brand new dumpling act. On the 17th, I'll be in Philadelphia. I'll be there the 17th through the 22nd for Burlesque and Beyond. Come catch me around all weekend. I'm on the panel at Launchpad Burlesque on the 19th, and I'm performing Friday night. That's the 20th. And I'll be teaching my workshop, Cooler on the Internet, the 21st. If I'm bringing these dumplings to your neck of the woods, say hello. I'd love to see you.